Amen, amen. We'll go ahead and grab a seat. As you do, grab your Bibles. Uh, open them to Genesis 40. We're going to continue our series in the book of Genesis. Two more weeks, y'all, and then we're done. We've been in Genesis for a while, and so two more weeks in Genesis. We're going to continue looking at the life of Joseph. So Genesis 40. As you turn there, what if I came to you after church and said, hey, I want you to come with me. I have an airplane waiting at the Indianapolis airport for you, and I want you to jump on that plane. We're going to head down to uh, the Amazon rainforest. We're going to find the most remote place there, and we're going to drop you off. And you got the clothes on your back. You can't have your phone, nothing else. I'm going to come back the next week, and I'll find you. I'll pick you up. How many of you are like, that sounds like my nightmare? Anybody? It does for me. It does for me. I don't have to pretend to be more manly than I am. I would definitely not make it a week. But what if I told you, oh, but by the way, where we drop you off, there's going to be a guy named Les Stroud there. Anybody know who Les Stroud is? Anybody remember a show called Survivor Man? Anybody ever see that? So that's Les Stroud. He is an expert in survival. Uh, he has dedicated and devoted his life to surviving, and not just surviving, but thriving in some of the worst conditions you can possibly think of. And so for a week in the Amazon, you're going to have Les Stroud with you every step of the way. He's going to help lead you to like where you can find food and, and water and what to eat and not eat and what animal looks cute, but it's really actually could kill you. And he's going to help you know what to do every step of the way he will be with you. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm like, Okay, yeah, maybe I could do that. I might be able to handle that. As long as I know that Les Stroud is with me. He's gonna go with me every step of the way. We said last week, if you remember, we started our message with this question. Where is God in life's deepest valleys? Where is God in life's deepest valleys? And, and as we walk through some of the life of Joseph, the, one of the things we said is in the deepest valleys of life, we gotta hold on to the truth that God is with you, that God is with me, that God is with us in the deepest valleys of life. But this morning, we wanna ask the question, so what? Why, why does that, like, why should that be an encouragement to us? You see, in order for me to be encouraged by the presence of Les Stroud in the middle of the Amazon, I got to know some things about him. And as I learn more about him, I go, oh, okay, then it actually really is good that he's with me. And I'm not afraid to face the dangers that lie ahead. In the same way, there's some things that we've got to know and understand and not just know in our heads, but believe at a soul level in our hearts that make it good news that in life's deepest valley, God is with us. And so this morning, we're just going to together walk through Genesis 40. We're going to see what Joseph has in store here, and then we're going to get to the end of Joseph 40, and we're going to spend some time together rehearsing some things that are true about God that makes it, make it good news that God is with us in the deep valleys of life. We're going to look at three things today that make it good news that God is with us in the deep valleys valleys of life. And so I want to pray for us, and then we're going to jump in together into Genesis 40. Father, thank you so much for this morning. God, thanks for your word and that uh, you love us enough to continue to pursue us. You love us uh, enough that you have left us your word, and you love us enough that we have your Holy Spirit. We get to hear from you this morning. And so God, just give us ears to hear. We, we want to hear from you. We want to know you more. And I pray that this morning, God, we would be able to do that, and, and we would truly be encouraged by the fact 
that you are with us in life's deepest valleys. And so God, just encourage our hearts this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Genesis chapter 40. If you remember, we left, uh, last left Joseph in the prison and, and he's had some ups and downs in his life and things right now aren't looking great. Joseph was just framed by Potiphar's wife and now he's thrown into prison and, uh, and then we actually see that God is with Joseph even in the prison. God has not forgotten Joseph. And it says that God's steadfast love is with him and, and God gives him favor in whatever he's doing in the prison. And so Joseph's kind of elevated to this leadership position in the prison. And so we pick it up here in uh, chapter 40, verse one. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody and one night they both dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled and he, he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, he said, hey, why, why are your faces downcast today? And they said, well, Joe, we've had dreams, man, and, and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said, hey, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. And so here, uh, the, the cupbearer and the baker are thrown into prison. And we've got to understand, this is like some high-ranking officials in the kingdom of Egypt. You see, oftentimes when people would want to try to assassinate a king of Egypt, a pharaoh, what they would do is they would try to poison a drink or poison food. And so the chief cupbearer and the chief baker were kind of the last line of defense before something would be put in front of Pharaoh. And so these were people that Pharaoh had to trust. In reality, he trusted them with his life. And so something happened, that trust is broken, he throws them into prison. And so here they are in prison and, and all of a sudden they have these dreams. They have these dreams, they're like, man, this is weird. What, what does this mean? And, and they, they walk downstairs. And, and I love that Joseph, in the midst of his suffering, he's not so self-absorbed that he misses the fact that, that they look pretty downcast. And I love this, like how bad do you have to look to be downcast in prison, which is already bad enough. And so these guys, they look bad. And Joseph's like, hey, what's, what's wrong? You guys look discouraged. Something, something's weighing on you. And they go, yeah, we had these dreams and, and, and we're not really sure what to do with them. And, and Joseph's like, hey, I, I know God. And God, he can interpret dreams. They belong to him. And so tell me, and, and let's see what we can do. And so the chief cupbearer goes first, verse nine. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me and on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you and, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. And so uh, Joseph interprets the cupbearer's dream. He says, hey, in three days, Pharaoh's going to bring you to himself and you're going to be restored back to your position. You're going to be able to be a cupbearer again. But hey, dude, Mr. Cupbearer, just remember me. That's all I ask. 
Like, I'm here, I have been rejected by my people, and then I was framed by Potiphar's wife, and here I am all alone, I don't deserve this, I wanna get out of here. And so I just ask, as you get out of this prison, just remember me. Say something to Pharaoh, maybe he can help me get out of this prison. Well, the chief baker, here's the interpretation of the chief cupbearer, he's like, wow, okay, that's That doesn't sound too bad. Hey, Joseph, what about my dream? And so now it's the chief baker's turn. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, hey, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head and in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head and Pharaoh, or Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh from you. The baker's going, ah, can you ask God again? The, the cupbearer, I mean, that seemed a little, can you, are you sure? But sure enough, verse 20, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. The chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Now we read this in a sentence, but we've got to understand that Joseph lived this in a series of daily disappointments. The cupbearer gets out and Joseph's going, okay, God, I see what you're doing. You were right, like the interpretation was right. And now God, I know, I told him to remember me and God, I know, I see, I can see how this is coming together and he's gonna say something to to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's gonna be like, yeah, 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 let's get you out. And so day one, Joseph's like, oh man, I can't wait. And he's looking, when's the cupbearer gonna come? Or maybe it's a messenger from the cupbearer, somebody, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And so day one continues, day one ends and and nothing. So it was like, okay, okay. I'll give him a day. Probably needs to get adjusted back to, you know, his position. And and so he wakes up day two and, and he's waiting waiting, watching, looking, hoping, nothing. Okay, well, the dream's like, that was three days, that, you know, so maybe, maybe it's like three days and, and that's what God's gonna do. He works in threes, so like maybe it's three days. So like maybe today, day three, this is the day. This is the day, and he waits and waits and nothing. And day four, day five, day six, days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, and months turn into two more years in the prison, alone, forgotten, Abandon. Just when Joseph thought, my valley can't get deeper, it gets a little bit deeper. But there still is someone with Joseph. The reality is, God is still with Joseph in his deep valley. God is still showing him his steadfast love. And, and the circumstances, they don't show it at the time, but we know that God is still with Joseph. And that's incredible news, but why? And, and for those of us in the room this morning who are walking through the deep valley, maybe it's the loss of a, of a loved one. Maybe it's the loss of a job. It's, it's an uncertain future. It's the loss of a relationship. It's, it's the hardship of mental illness you've been walking through. It's disappointment of, of being forgotten, ignored, passed over, whatever it might be. Why is it that we need to hear today that God is still with you and that that is good news? I was talking with another one of our pastors this week who's walked through some deep valley seasons and 
He said during the time that he was in his deepest valley, he had to make the choice. He said, do I allow my circumstances to frame what I believe about God or do I allow what is true about God to frame my circumstances? You see, the deep valley seasons can bring about a cloud and a darkness over the character of God. But we, this morning, we're gonna contend. We're gonna fight to frame our circumstances through what is true about who God is. And so we're gonna spend the rest of our time this morning walking through three things that are true of God in life's deepest valley. Before we get there, just two things that I wanna reiterate from last week. And one is this, all of this preaches easy and it lives hard. It preaches easy and it lives hard. We're gonna talk about three characteristics of God and all of us, probably none of this will be brand new information for us and we're gonna be going like, yeah, yeah, I know this, I know this, but man, is it hard to live. And so just know, this is not, here's your two, you know, God is good, God is great pills, swallow these and all will be better in the morning. It's not that, this is hard. This preaches easy, it lives hard. And second is this, for those of us not in the deep valleys, I would encourage us to fight to do the work of planting the seeds of belief and experience now. So when the deep valley comes, because they will come, we have decided ahead of time. We have experienced ahead of time. We have tasted and seen the reality of the character of God. And so three things in the deepest valleys of life that I will contend to trust. And I I wanna use this word contend intentionally. I love this idea of contend is to assert or maintain earnestly. To assert or maintain earnestly. Like, we're going to fight to trust these things. We're going to assert. We're going to earnestly try to maintain the trust that these things are true in the deep valleys of life. Again, this preach is easy. It lives hard, but we are going to fight for it. We are going to contend to believe and trust that these are true. Three things. In the deepest valley of life, I will contend to trust that God is still good to me. In the deepest valleys of life, I will contend to trust that God is still good to me. I will fight to believe. I will will fight to maintain and assert the reality that God is still good to me. Nahum 1, verse 7 says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of distress. He cares for those who take refuge in him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of distress. Psalm 119, you are good and you do what is good. Man, everything that God does is good. There's nothing that he does that is not good. You are good and you do what is good. And then I love this, Psalm 34, eight. Man, the invitation of God to us is not just to know that God is good, but to taste and see that the Lord is good. When you think about taste, you think about experience. God is inviting us into experience the goodness of God. Not just know it in our heads, but experience it in our hearts and in our lives. To know it, to know it deep down at this soul, at this gut level. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And I get all of this is easy to affirm when things are going well and we see the blessing and and life looks like it's up and to the right. But in the deep valleys... Will we allow our circumstances to frame God or instead will we allow what we know to be true about God that he's good to frame how we view and walk through our circumstances? I wanna just spend a little bit of time talking about what we mean by God's 
goodness. I mean, this is something we sing about, we talk about a lot, but uh, I, I want to just, it's important for us to sit in this. Like, what does it mean that God is good? What do we mean by God's goodness? God, God is kind-hearted. And, and I grew up in a, in a Christian home and grew up going to church, and I'm so thankful for that, but I would say I tend to, to struggle more with the legalistic side of things, thinking that I can earn something from God, that if I behave in a certain way and say certain things and don't say other things, that now God loves me more. And, and then I, I, I tend to have this view of God as kind of this like big angry dad just waiting for me to trip up, and then when I do, he's like, ha, I knew it, you weren't good enough. But that's not our God. He's good. He's kind, kind-hearted. He's gracious. He's good-natured. He's benevolent. He's generous. He's well-meaning and kindly in intention. I love this. God is cordial. He's warm. He's friendly. You know when you're walking through, maybe it's a really hard day or those deep valley seasons, and there's like that one friend, there's that one family member that you're going, I don't know if I really want to see a lot of people right now, but if I could see them and just get a hug from them and sit with them and cry with them, it would be just like this healing balm to my soul. God is that for us. That's what we mean when we say God is good. He's warm, he's friendly, and he wants to be the healing balm to our souls. He wants to be the friend that is closer than a brother. But we're sitting here and we're going, okay, all these things sound great, but how do I contend to trust this when it's hard and when I'm in the valley? How do I fight for this together? How do we do this? We look to Jesus. We know God is good and his goodness is dripping off of every page in this book, in scripture. But we get to see the goodness of God with flesh on in the person of Jesus. We see the kind-hearted and gracious and good-natured heart of God in Jesus. Why do you think the crowds wanted to be around Jesus? Why were sinners and sufferers drawn to him? Because he was harsh and standoffish? No, because he was good. He's kind. He's gracious. He's generous. We see this so clearly demonstrated in the cross. Here's Jesus on the cross, beaten and bloody and abandoned by those he loves, left by his friends all alone in his heart of goodness, kind, gracious, good-natured heart. It looks out on the people who have betrayed and beaten him and hung him up on the cross. And he says, Father, he doesn't say, Father, condemn them. He says, Father, forgive them. If God's goodness can be displayed on the cross, the most horrific evil, what an encouragement for us to know that God is still good in our deepest valleys. And when we doubt that, look to Jesus. Let us pray and let us ask that God gives us eyes of faith to be looking for his goodness in the midst of the deep valley. God doesn't stop being good. He is goodness. He's the very definition of goodness. What God is in his character, he cannot stop being. He is always good. He's never not good. He's the friend who is warm and inviting. His presence is the presence of whom we could say is a healing balm to the soul. So let us contend to trust. Let us fight to believe in the goodness of God and that God is still good to me. Oh, the light that floods our souls as we cling to the goodness of God in our deepest valley. Three things we must contend to trust in the deepest valleys of life, that God is still good to me. Second thing is this, in the deepest valleys of life, I will contend to trust that God is still faithful to me. 
in the deepest valleys of life, I will contend to trust that God is still faithful to me. We're gonna fight to believe it, that God is still faithful to me. Deuteronomy 7 verse nine says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. He's faithful. Psalm 33, four, for the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in what? Faithfulness and all his work. There's never anything that God does that is not faithful to who he is. Second Thessalonians three, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Again, this is easy to preach, it's hard to live. But I think in order to live it out faithfully and to really believe it, again, we've gotta wrestle with, what does it mean that God is faithful? We talk about that all the time, God is faithful, God is faithful, but let's sit in that for a little bit. I love what A.W. Pink says. He says, far above all infinite comprehension is the unchanging faithfulness of God. Far above all infinite comprehension is the unchanging faithfulness of God. Everything about God is great and vast and incomparable. Listen, he never forgets. He never fails. He never falters. He never forfeits his word. To every declaration of promise or prophecy, the Lord has exactly adhered. God is true. His word, his promise is sure. In all his relationship with his people, God is faithful. Now, Again, this preach is easy, it lives hard, and we get there are seasons in the lives of all of us when it is hard to believe that God is faithful. Our faith is tried, our eyes are dimmed with tears, we can no longer trace the outworkings of the love of God, our ears are distracted with the noises of the world, we're harassed by the atheistic whisperings of Satan, and we can no longer hear the sweet, sweet accents of the voice of Jesus. Cherished plans have been thwarted. Friends on whom we relied have failed us. A, a brother or sister in Christ has betrayed us. We're, we're staggered. We sought to be faithful to God, and now a dark cloud hides us from him. Some of us in the room, we'd, we'd admit we find it difficult, maybe even impossible, to harmonize the deep valleys of life with God's gracious promises. What do we do when I just can't seem to get my hands around the faithfulness of God? O faltering soul, severely tried fellow pilgrim, seek grace to believe, Isaiah 50, verse 10. If you are walking in darkness and you're without a ray of light, trust in the Lord and rely on your God. If you're walking in darkness without a ray of light, trust in the Lord and rely on your God. How do I contend to believe this? How do I fight to believe it when it's hard and I'm in the valley? We look to Jesus God is faithful and his faithfulness took on flesh in the form of Jesus. God was faithful to his promise. Faithful to his promise, if you remember all the way back in Genesis three, when God said, hey, the, the serpent's gonna come and, and, but don't worry, through a seed of Eve, I will send one who will crush the serpent's head. God is faithful. He is faithful to the promise that he made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through them. He is faithful to fulfill the prophecies he made hundreds of years 
before Jesus came, faithful to the end, faithful at great personal cost to himself, faithful to the point of sacrificing his own son so that we could be made right with God. Look to Jesus. He never fails. He never forgets. He never falters. He never forfeits his word. And we see this so clearly in his faithfulness to his disciples, all of whom failed Jesus, all of whom faltered. They forfeited Jesus in his greatest time of need. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, he went to his disciples, not in wrath, not in anger, but in faithfulness. He was faithful to his own, even when they were faithless. They were walking through the deep valley of their own, turning their backs against Jesus. And Jesus never once turned their backs on them. Oh, that we would look to the cross and see the faithfulness of Jesus. If God is faithful to do that, how might God be working and displaying his faithfulness in our deep valley, in our adversity? Oh, that God would give us eyes of faith to see through the fog of the valley to the bright light of his faithfulness. Three things we need to contend to trust, that we need to fight to believe, that makes it good news that God is with me in the deepest valleys. In the deepest valleys of life, I will contend to trust that God is still good to me, that God is still faithfulness, faithful to me. And in the deepest valleys of life, I will contend to trust that God still loves me. In the deepest valleys of life, I will contend to trust. I will fight to believe. I will do whatever it takes to trust that God still loves me. Isaiah 54, verse 10. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. My steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Psalm 86, for great is your steadfast love toward me. You, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. 1 John 4, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. God is love. God himself is the very definition of love. And just as we've done for these other two, we talk about the love of God all the time, but what does it mean? What does it mean that God is love? His unending, generous, lavish, self-sacrificing, limitless, boundless, measureless, unconditional goodwill towards me and pleasure in knowing and drawing me close to him. God's love is his unending, generous, lavish, self-sacrificing, limitless, boundless, measureless, unconditional goodwill toward us. How do I know? How do I know God's love for me when I'm in the deep valley? I can't see it. I don't feel it. How do I know? We, like we've said all morning, we look to Jesus. 1 John chapter 4, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus is the love of God with clothes on. God's is a love that is not far off, but it became one of us. God's love is one which enters into our sufferings through Christ. 
God's love through Jesus makes it possible for us to experience the love of God in the middle of our deep valley. I love what Johnny Erickson Tata says. If you don't know her story, she is a quadriplegic. She, she suffers with chronic pain. Uh, she's had multiple battles with cancer. Uh, just kind of a lifetime of suffering. And she talks about a conversation she had with her husband one time. And, and she says this, Jesus surprises us in times when our suffering overwhelms us. He surprises us with such sweet, sweet experiences of his presence. She says, I was talking with my husband and, and they were talking about suffering and they said, you know, suffering is, is actually like a little splash over of hell. It's like a little splash over of hell come early, a little spoonful of hell that God gives us sometimes in the form of suffering. He gives us these little splashes, splash overs of hell to, to wake us up. And so then we wondered as we drove, she says, what are splashovers of heaven? Are, are splashovers of heaven, are those times of easy, breezy, bright days when all the medical bills are paid and your hopes are high and the sun is shining and the birds are singing and all looks bright on the horizon where joy comes easily? Are those splashovers of heaven? She says, as we pulled into the driveway, she says, no, you know, you know what I think a splashover of heaven is? It's finding Jesus in your splash over of hell. Nothing is more sweet. Nothing is more poignant. Nothing is more tender. Nothing is more beautiful. Nothing is more lovely than finding Jesus in the middle of your hell. And we can do this for us because Jesus became flesh, became a man, walked among us, suffered and died, and then he took on the wrath of God. He took on the full weight of hell for us. Not just a little splash over. Jesus took on the full weight of hell for you and I so that we don't have to experience the full weight of the wrath of God. Jesus took it on himself. He suffered. He died. He entered into our deep valley so that when we walk through the deep valley, Jesus can walk next to us and say, I know. I know. And I'm good. I want to be the, the friend who's closer than a brother. I'm here ready to embrace you with my presence. I'm ready to shower you with my love. I'm not some God who's far off. But I've entered into your suffering. In the deepest valleys of life, I will contend to believe that God is still good to me, he is still faithful to me, and he still loves me. And that is why it is good news that God is with me. In those deep valleys, God is good, he's faithful, he loves me, and that's why it's so good that he's with me. Now, as we close this morning, we remember that all of this, and we've said this, but I, I wanna make it so clear, all of this preaches easy, it lives hard. This is not just a here, take your, take your three pills. One is God is good, one's God's faithful, one God loves you, and man, you're just gonna feel better in the morning. It, it, this is hard. And, and, and I wanna close this morning with having a time where we say, we're gonna fight for this. We're gonna contend for this. We're gonna wrestle for this. We're gonna choose to believe it when it doesn't make sense. We're gonna fight to believe it. And, and we're gonna have times and, and we're gonna make this morning one of those where we say, I will not leave here until I really believe this. And not just in my head be like, yeah, yeah, God is good. He's faithful, but say, I know it. Deep down in my soul, I know it. 
that God is good, that he is faithful and that he loves me. We're gonna contend for this together. You see, I think as Jesus followers, sometimes we feel this pressure to go like, I'm suffering, I'm in the deep valley, but I, I know God is good, God is good. He's faithful, he loves me, which are all true. But you know, we're a family. And in a family, this has to be a safe place for us to go. Hey, I'm in the deep valley. And you know what? I'm struggling to believe that God is good. I'm in the deep valley and I'm saying, I don't, I don't know that God is faithful right now. I know I'm supposed to say that God loves me, but man, if I'm honest, I would tell you, I don't, I don't know if I believe it right now that God loves me. We're a family. We've got to be able to help each other contend and fight. When I have no strength left for myself to believe it, we need each other to help us believe it. We've got to help each other in this journey of faith. You know, there's going to be times when it's easy to believe and know and experience these things. And then there's times where we're going to believe and know and experience these things only as we fight for them, only as we cry out for them, as we cry for them, as we help each other with these things. I love what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 1. You'll see it on the screen. He says, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. He says, we were completely what? Overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life itself. Y'all, that's bad. And Paul's not like, oh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't that bad, you know, whatever. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He's just like, dude, we were, we were struggling. We despaired. We despaired even of life itself. And then he says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. That's bad. But then the verse goes on and it says this, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a terrible death and he will deliver us. We will put our hope in him. Will we choose to put our hope in him? Will we, will we surrender to him? Will we come to the end of ourselves? Will we allow the deep valley seasons of life, as Johnny Erickson Tata says, to aid us, to be a friend, a strange friend, yes, but a friend, a guest, an unwelcomed guest, but nonetheless a guest pushing us down the road to Jesus. We want to contend, we want to fight, we want to wrestle to be able to believe and trust and say with Paul in Philippians 3, my goal is to know him, to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And what if the way we get to know the power of his resurrection is through the fellowship of his sufferings? What if the the joy of his goodness and the reality of his faithfulness and the nearness and tenderness of his love. What if that road is the road of the fellowship of his suffering? Will we contend? Will we wrestle? Will we fight to believe that, yes, I'm not gonna leave here until I know deep down in my soul that God is good, he's faithful, and he loves me. Let's have a time to just ask God for that to surrender to God and say, God, in my own strength, I can't do it, I need you. We're gonna close, uh, the worship team's gonna sing this song over us. I wanna just read some of these words for you. And we wanna use this time for us to fight together, to contend together, to believe and trust that these things are true of God. The, the song says this, how long will I have to hear the stories of how you were able? How long will I have to celebrate the miracle that's not my own? 
How long will I lift my voice and sing again that you are always good when I'm feeling all this distance I never thought I would? How long? Some of us, that's where we are this morning. God, how long? I love the chorus that says this, as long as it takes for my heart to find its song, as long as it takes to know I'm not alone. And at the end of the day, I'll stand right here and say, I know that you love me, miracle or not. I would encourage us, let's wrestle together. Let's contend together to say, I don't want to just know it in my head, but I want to believe it at this soul gut level in my heart that God is good. He is faithful and that he loves me. And as long as it takes for me to get there, I will stay right here until I can say, I know that you love me, God. And so Lord, we just ask for your strength. God, we can't do this in our own strength. This is hard. This is hard. And so God, we need you. We recognize that uh, these deep valleys of life, God, would you use them to bring us to the end of ourselves and surrender to you? And God, just cry out that I can't do it, God, but I am gonna fight to believe. I'm gonna contend to trust that God, you are still good. You are still faithful and you still love me. So Lord, use this time to just draw our hearts to you, to help us believe it, God. We need your strength. We need your power. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.